Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to this new episode of the Mindful Steward podcast. Today I have a little bit of an unorthodox plan for this episode. Um, so basically, in all honesty, I'm going to talk about myself and how I got into mindfulness so deeply and how I kind of um, became so interested in all of these different personal growth topics. And it's actually an episode that I've been really reluctant to do. Um, I know I was talking with my friend Pat Wiltsey in one of the last episodes. He and I started writing a lot around the same time, and he expressed this feeling that more recently he just is not interested in, in posting really self-absorbed content where it's more just self-reflection, and he's trying to kind of do something different where he gets to learn or provide value or document different kinds of information. And that's basically what this podcast is for me. I think I was going through the same kind of thing and I was getting really bored of just writing in general and just bored of, bored of just writing about myself as well. And um, several of the guests that I've had on this show um, and a few of the different listeners have, have kind of messaged me asking for more context into certain things that I've mentioned about what I do and what I'm doing and what I did and what I went through. So I feel like I'll just turn half this episode into that and the second half will be basically my reflection on the first 11 episodes because a lot of these people who I'm chatting with and a lot of the other people who I'm meeting and kind of lining up new conversations with, they have similarities in the way that they think and um, I think it just is cool for anyone listening or even for myself to just kind of think about these things and, and absorb them a little bit more. So I'm just going to talk about my story and then I'm going to get into that as well. If you are enjoying the show at all, please subscribe wherever you are listening. Um, it just helps me get it in front of more ears and more listeners. So that always helps as well. I'm just going to dive into this now. Um, I'm going to keep this as brief as I can while hitting on, I think, all the things that are actually important. But I did not find mindfulness because of any kind of traumatic point in my life. I know that seems to be a very common theme that I meet among people and they find a lot of comfort in mindfulness and um, it brings them a lot of understanding of what they want to do and it, that is what it did for me as well but I've had a relatively cushy life. You know, I'm a pretty fortunate person so I'm just going to acknowledge that right off the start but um, I came across mindfulness basically in university when I was experiencing some really extreme stress and that had a lot to do with the fact that I hated school. So um, I came across some books. In the summer, I read a lot more. I was up north tree planting, and that's also kind of an insanely stressful time. So I was reading some stuff about mindfulness for the very first time. I believe that is when I picked up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, and that book is pretty out there. It's really hard to understand the language in that, but it really opened my mind to the thought that you don't just have to feel shitty all the time. Um, there are practices and methods and certain ways of thinking that can really change that. So that really for years threw me down this path of almost only reading nonfiction growth-oriented content. And I would say that it was a good four years of that. I read tons of stuff and I wasn't really practicing any of it. That's a thing. Um, and uh, I went through a big injury that kind of screwed up my plans for what I wanted to do in my early 20s and that changed things a little bit and I ended up just kind of traveling and trying to cope with 
the fact that I didn't know what the hell was going on by just having fun and living very short term. And almost two years ago now, I basically hit a point where um, things were kind of not where I wanted them to be. So how would I, I describe this? So I was back in my hometown, which is not somewhere I ever saw myself living in the long term. And I literally had no job. And uh, I had a relationship that just crumbled as well. So really, I just fell into a really introspective point in time where I was analyzing everything. And I just started realizing like I have this pattern of ending up in these spots, like taking jobs that I didn't really like, ending up unhappy, ending up in a very questionable relationship dynamic, and then just sitting around being confused and just doing something fun to kind of cope with it. And what I realized was that I needed something more important in my life than just whatever felt good at the point at in the moment. So not that I was a really indulgent person, but if something made me feel bad or I didn't like it, I would just avoid the responsibility for how I felt and how that might be affecting me. And I would just save up money and go on another trip, or I would just avoid the displeasure of trying to find a job that I liked or um, avoid the fear of being rejected from all these jobs that I might actually like and maybe these people that I actually liked. So that really was a guiding factor in my life for quite a long time. And it was a pretty brutal way to live. Um, So when I was sitting around, I basically started reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck. I hate to associate it to one or two specific writers because there was a lot more going on, but I had read this personal growth content for years. I came across that book a while before. That was actually the third time I read it. And it's a complete take ownership for your situation type of book. And it kind of snapped me out of it. And then I read a book by Jordan Peterson, his new book, 12 Rules for Life. Same kind of thing. It's a book that helps a lot of people like me understand that you can never externalize the stress or the results of your life. You just can't. Um, It's a really questionable way to look at the world and it doesn't really get you anywhere. And um, I realized after reading both of those books again that I was a complete victim to that mentality. Um, And I had a victim mentality in general, you know. My parents would ask me like, hey, how's the... How's your job hunt going? Have you thought about what you're going to do next? And uh, my response would be, yeah, nobody's hiring. You know, it was always an external reason. I never took the ownership at all. Um, And I was pretty bummed out at this point in time when I was reading those books. And it really snapped me out of it. And I immediately started networking and actually putting an effort in. And I found this awesome job opportunity. And it made me feel really good that I had actually taken action and made it happen. Um, and my boss really appreciated me and we had this awesome dynamic and, uh, that was the beginning. And I'm not even trying to say with this story that I'm some kind of really high achieving person. I think I just hit a point in my life where I understood what had to be done. And I just started approaching things a little bit differently. That summer, it was a lot of thought about my life goal and my intentions because I, I learned that you really do need to have a lot of intention in your life. Because then you're basing your actions on values of your own and goals of your own. And everything kind of has a purpose in one way or another. So 
I found that really important. And considering the fact that half of that slump was caused by a relationship not working out, I spent a lot of time thinking about that as well. And I got really real with myself in all of these areas. You know, I actually kind of took a pen out and wrote down and thought about all the really shitty tendencies that I have. And for the first time on the relationship side of things, I really realized that I actually did not know what a healthy relationship dynamic looked like. I did not know what respecting yourself in a relationship meant at all. And that was because my parents were divorced and they divorced at the end of high school. So I'm going to say, I don't know, four years after, four or five years after I even got to the age where I would be interested in dating. And their relationship was pretty unhealthy for a long time before that, before the actual divorce. So I actually did not know what healthy relationships looked like. So I actually took the time to try and figure out what that, the answer to that question was, you know, what was a healthy dynamic? And I realized that I had this pattern of not having self-respect with the people that I date, you know. Um, Truthfully, I would spend a lot of time with girls who tended to walk all over me or they would bail on my plans all the time and they would act passive-aggressively. And I really had to step back and think to myself, what is my end goal here, you know? I'm looking to have a healthy relationship with someone who... um, a mutual thing where I can take ownership for my situation and they can take ownership for everything on their end of things. And I had friends who talked about, you know, the bickering they would have with their girlfriends and then how whenever their girlfriend acted really shitty, they would, they would get a text or an apology or that she would, she would make sure that uh, he felt better about the situation. And I realized I had never been in a relationship like that with anyone. Um, if anything, it was me going back to them, trying to convince them to uh, respect me, even though I was the one who was being kind of treated questionably. Uh, It's hard for me to even admit that because I am not really somebody who had that problem in any other area of my life, but it was a dilemma in my dating. And I decided that that just wasn't really what I wanted, you know. Um, I had to look really deep into what I wanted and think about the way that the people that I'm dating, um, the way that they act, and what that actually says about their character, you know. If you were buying a retirement plan, you wouldn't just buy whatever feels good in the moment, you know. You would think about what kind of investments are going to be best for your future and best for your time and what kind of organization is going to make those work for you. So um, I think a dilemma in my dating was that I would be like, oh my God, this person likes me. I'm just going to make sure that this is, this is the thing, you know? And um, I think in, in taking that approach that I've changed up a little bit, it's helped me respect myself a lot more and, and that's really transferred into a lot of different areas, but it's also helped me understand the kind of person I need to be because truthfully, you know, you can't really say, I want a good communicator. I want somebody who treats me well and, uh, and takes ownership for everything, unless you're willing to do the full same thing on your end. And that was something that I really was basically unsure how to put into practice. So I realized that a lot of the things that went, went down in my relationships were my own responsibility. So um, 
I kind of took that approach with dating as well. You know, if you want self-respect, you have to just only be self-respecting and don't take anything other than that. But if you want someone who's awesome, then you need to make sure that, that you're being awesome in that situation too. So I know a lot of dudes are really afraid to talk about this kind of shit, but really guys think about this just as much as women do. You know, relationships are a huge part of life. And as far as I was concerned, other than my career status, I think that relationships were my other biggest failure. So it was necessary for me to put the time in uh, to understanding what was going wrong in that side of thing. And I think being mindful with my dating was also a huge step for me in that way. You know, if, if you come from a family where you don't just learn about these things naturally, you need to learn about them in other ways. And you have to step back and observe why things are so fucked up because you really can never solve a problem from the same level of thinking that the problem was, ke- was created within. Um, that's something that I keep hearing over and over again. And uh, I just think it's one of the most valuable pieces of insight you can apply to almost every single situation uh, that's a little bit tricky. So I started looking at things in that kind of a way. And in my mind, really all of these things that I was doing, they are mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is actually a lot deeper than just meditating and finding ways to calm your mind. It's looking at the way that you act and the results that you get and, um, and putting you in alignment with the things that you actually want, you know. If you want people to value your character, you have to be a valuable character, you know. Be that. Don't step around uh, kind of avoiding that transition and that change by saying that you want that, um, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. For myself personally, I took the approach of basically thinking about what would the... What would the kind of person that has all these things that I want be? Um, what would they do and what would they think? And, um, you know, somebody who has great relationships would be self-respecting and they would be a great person to be in a relationship with. And somebody who has a lot of value in their professional life would be someone who puts effort into the areas that they actually care about. And they would take steps that scare them. And... Um, and how would, this, how would this person think? You know, they would think positively and they would think confidently. And this is where I would say the third part of this whole transition happened for me is when I got really interested in the ways of thinking specifically in positive um, formats. So it's a very real thing that your thoughts and the way that you think on a subconscious level was basically programmed into you from the way that you were raised as a kid. And this is why they, a lot of different psychiatrists and psychologists theorize that, you know, people who have really unhealthy parental dynamics and, um, you know, people who might not be so fortunate with their home life, they they start to beat themselves up on a subconscious level based on these kind of tragedies. And I don't know if tragedy was the right word. I think that puts a little bit too negative of a twist on it. But um, you subconsciously tell yourself that you can't have these great things and um, that your life is so fucked up because of the fact that you've basically, that's what you've seen, you know? Um, And 
that was programmed into you, but it's a very real thing that you can reprogram those thoughts. And that does, this is when it does get into a little bit more of a spiritual realm. But uh, one thing that I've really come to think of as a guiding principle is something that uh, my friend Brooke, who I did an episode with, said. And basically, spirituality is looked down on so much in this day and age. And I would say people are a little more open-minded right now in particular than they used to be, but spirituality is looked down on because people see it as something that doesn't work or it doesn't, what's the point in believing all this stuff? It's not like it changes your life. Like the law of attraction doesn't change your life, but the point of spirituality and mindfulness is not to change your life. It's to change the way you are so that you can be the person to change your life. This is probably the point where I really started seeing major results from meditating and journaling and affirmations. And there's a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of different people that influenced me to do this. People who I really respected and people who were doing really cool shit and have had they, they had the lives that I would want to be living myself. So um, I took it seriously and I got a lot into mindfulness because of that. And I am really blown away by how different my, my, pre, my uh, default thinking and thoughts are nowadays. And it's because I put in a lot of time trying out all this mindfulness stuff. And that is why I personally have become a massive advocate for it. This podcast is not supposed to be a complete mindfulness shift, whatnot. Um, and this is really the only episode I'm going to do where I go this deep. Uh, I wanted to get it out there. Now I have something I can refer back to or anything, but I don't want any more of this content to be self-indulgent like this, but I did want to kind of outline my story and uh, the things that I've come across through this. Um, but really the entire goal of this podcast for me initially was to be the one who gets to dictate my sphere of influence. And when I was back home in London and nothing was really working out for me, I can honestly say, um, I don't mean this in an offensive way to anybody at all, but my sphere of influence was not that great. Um, a lot of the people I spent time with weren't doing much. They were not doing things that I really admired at all. And... Uh, once I got up to Toronto and started spending time with a lot of other people who I've always admired and I got to kind of be better friends with people who I just knew a little bit, um, I really saw an incredible value in that and I thought that this podcast would be a really cool opportunity for me to just connect with those people, um, to, you know, learn how they think and try and make my life a little more like that. So since that time... Um, through the podcast and through other ways, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of really awesome people. And it's really inspired me to kind of take on greater creative projects instead of just writing little articles here and there and whatnot. Um, it's been a really good thing for me in general, but similar to what Tim Ferriss does on his podcast, um, Obviously, Tim Ferriss is doing some massive things. He interviews massive people, but I've had a lot of really cool guests. They're all people I really admire, and I enjoy hearing their viewpoints on things because the reason they're doing the things that they are is because of the way that they think. 
and it's really cool to just get in their head. So I'm just going to go and outline some of the major takeaways that I have personally gathered from hearing their stories um, and from hearing the way that they approach things. So I have a little list here. It's actually going to be pretty brief. Um, they are a lot of the things that you would expect, but I think it would be pretty cool to just go over them. So all these people have really cool lifestyles. Um, that's just, just the truth. You know, they worked hard to achieve those things and to be able to live those lives comfortably. So I think the most humbling thing is just how hard each of these people work. And some people find that really an off-putting thing to to look at, but I personally find it really humbling um, when you meet pe people who are literally killing it and they work super hard for it. That's actually re really reassuring that success comes to people who work hard. You know, I think the really the fear that people have, including myself, is that we're all going to work super hard and we're not going to be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor at all. And I don't think that really is the case. Um, unless maybe you're working hard at something that you just don't enjoy because the passion in your work really is a huge part in the results that you get. So um, for me, that was such a simple thing to acknowledge, but I find it really reassuring and I, I really enjoy it every time I meet someone and they're like, yeah, I've been working all week, but all these awesome things are happening. Um, it's such a cool thing to hear every time. And obviously... Almost all of them are entrepreneurs. Um, I do find that people who run their own businesses are the people who think in the most unique ways. You know, They have been pre-programmed from birth through their, the education system and through their family and society that they should get a job working for a company. And they basically just said, no, I don't believe that. I think for myself. So um, they take unorthodox risks that just feel right to them. And it's another really obvious one, but... I think that there's a lot to learn from people who live this way. So um, if you're anything like me, I try and connect myself with as many people like that as possible because it rubs off on me and it really gets, gets my brain kind of thinking in unique ways that helps me in my job at the office that I work at because I work a nine to five at a big company right now. But uh, I think those are skills that can benefit you in all different kinds of ways. So another thing is that I found that all of them have pretty intense goals, but the goals are the intrinsic goals of what the success, what the success can bring them, like literally being able to do their favorite hobby seven days a week and make good money doing it, or being able to travel for work. It was always about something external. It was never just about... I have this vision where I'm going to have a mansion and cars and I'm going to do all this crazy shit and I'm going to hang out with Drake and stuff. Um, it was always about what, what they get from it and how happy they get to be. So um, I do, I mean, some of these things are kind of biased because I'm picking and choosing these people and people who I know think that way are the people who I want to have on the podcast. So on the note of mindfulness, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with that last one. A lot of these people have mindfulness practices. I think almost every single one of them did. I think uh, a couple of them, I didn't talk about it with them, but I just know that they do. They're people who I know decently well. Mindfulness is a thing that helps you maintain that kind of perception of the world. You know, It helps you detach from external distractions and get back into the way that you want to be thinking. So 
I think it, uh, whatever it may be for you, you know, a lot of people look at mindfulness, um, to be quite honest, as if it's a feminine thing. And if you're a guy like me, I'm just a normal dude. I go to the gym very often. You know, I never talk about mindfulness outside of groups of people who are already interested in it, um, or this podcast. So you would never know that I'm that kind of, uh, a person with those kinds of interests, but I think everyone really does have their own branches of mindfulness. You know, people work out, they run, um, they do all these things because it brings them some kind of calm peace of mind and it relaxes them and it makes them feel good. And um, I'll relate this back to snowboarding because snowboarding was a huge part of my life and it's a pretty intense activity. You know, when I go snowboarding, I'm in a terrain park. Um, I'm doing maneuvers that I could slam my face on a pile of ice like at any second, um, going top speed. Like there are, there are consequences. But for me, snowboarding is the most relaxing feeling probably that even exists. And um, it like really calms my mind. And uh, I think a lot of people think of mindfulness as something that they don't do. But if you're anything like me, you have some kind of hobby that brings you that peace. And it's important to prioritize those things, you know, those passions and those things that really level you out and, and reconnect you with the person that you are. Those things are very important. And I think that you should always prioritize those. One common topic that I talk about a lot, probably too much, is social media and overstimulation. So the truth is, the science is out there. You know, social media is a cause of anxiety and depression. And um, this doesn't apply to everyone, but I'm just going to say it. I know a lot of people are afraid to, but if you're a young man and you grew up as a millennial, just like I did, um, porn is a huge thing. It's a huge problem. And almost everyone has grown up with that habit who grew up similar to me. And social media, porn, those things that all overstimulate your brain, they load your brain filled with chemicals, and then your brain drains those chemicals, and then you're sitting at a very low baseline, much lower than where you would even sit naturally. And that is the reason, I could go into the very scientific way of describing it, but that's a summary of why it cre creates depression, anxiety, it's being linked to ADHD, um, and I'm talking about both of these things in as if they're a conjoined thing, but that's because they basically have the same results. Um, porn's a little worse, but a lot of these people who, um, who I chatted with, they take very diligent, uh, they take very calculated action on managing their social media use and a lot of the guys have completely quit watching porn. Um, there's a big movement of that right now because a lot of guys are realizing how much better they feel and they function without it. And a lot of them, you know, even when I went to share the podcast episodes on Instagram, they wouldn't even see it for about a week or two. And then they would send me a message. and be like, hey, I just saw it. Thanks for posting. And a lot of the other guys just didn't even have Instagram. And... They basically mentioned that they had it deactivated for the time being because 
they were just on a little bit too much. And this seems to be a common theme among people who are really productive. Um, I was actually at a talk in Toronto from Tyler Mitchell. So he's the, I believe it's Vogue, but he is the first African-American photographer to shoot the Vogue cover. And he shoots with people like Beyonce. Um, He's one of the biggest photographers in the world right now. And he basically was saying that every time he goes to create a big project or he's going on a trip and he's specifically trying to shoot a lot for a book or he's doing a lot of work, he just deletes Instagram. Um, Or he just fully pays someone else to just manage it for weeks at a time so that he doesn't even have to open it once. And I really resonated with that because um, it's just, it's cool to see people who are so aware of these things. And um, it's a really harsh perspective, but I personally believe that now that we all know how bad social media is, if you choose to spend tons and tons of your time on there, and then you later are stressed out about the fact that you feel slightly depressed or anxious, um, then you're not taking personal responsibility for your situation. This is a, something we all have power to, to kind of take control of. So you don't have to quit social media, but it's really good for your brain to be able to you know, manage it in an appropriate way. And I think we've all just disposed our ability to complain and and avoid responsibility for our mental health if we choose to be on those platforms constantly, just frying our brains, basically. So that's the way I look at it. And that's not me pointing the finger at all. I am super guilty of doing that myself. I'm just trying to be better at it. So um, it's just something to consider, I think. Another quality that I noticed with almost all these people is that they are willing to invest in themselves heavily. And that doesn't mean going to university and getting a master's necessarily. Some of them are doing those kinds of things, but um, they have life coaches of their own. And they're people who I would never think would need that kind of thing. But they find value in having somebody who knows more than them, helping them with what they're doing and helping them learn more. And uh, my friend Lauren Ruddick, who is, she's a really well-renowned yoga instructor. Um, she was a, good, a really good example of this because she was talking about how she's paid for different coaches. Um, she's been a yoga instructor for a long time now, teaching really, really awesome stuff. And she continues to go back and do trainings of her own all the time. Um, and my friend Robbie, who he's a digital nomad and he runs a mindfulness and digital nomad retreat. And he said he just invested a large amount of money in a really big coach who is basically a marketing expert and really helps people create revolutionary organizations. And he's spending a huge amount of money on this, but he feels really good about it. And I know myself personally, I've struggled with this all the time. You know, I look at my money and I go, hey, what would I rather do with this? Would I rather invest in that kind of thing where I have no idea what the results will be? Or would I rather spend that going snowboarding and going on a trip? And that's a tough choice for me. Even now, I think I would still probably pick the trip just with the stage that I'm at in my life. But um, it's just something to consider, you know, these people don't hesitate with that at all. 
they see those as opportunities and they dive in. And uh, the fact that they're so engaged in those things are probably half the reason they get all the results back. But um, definitely just another thing, just some food for thought. Um, when those kind of opportunities pop up in our lives, maybe it's a good thing to consider them. So this is going to be the last thing I point out. A lot of the people I had on this podcast so far are pretty spiritual, free-thinking individuals. So I would say they're already the kind of people who would maybe be more into this stuff in general. But my first guest was a, a, a lady named Lauren, and she's a life coach. I mean, sorry, she's a business coach, a little bit different. But um, she was really into the law of attraction. And we had a conversation about that. And since that time, I just kind of, I keep hearing about this all the time. And I wrote about it a little bit. I think, truthfully, the law of attraction has been kind of skewed in Western culture to mean that, you know, put a vision board up with all the things that you want and basically just sit around vision it, visualizing those things and they will just come to you, you know, don't stress about it. Just let the attraction happen naturally. And there's an element of the don't stress about it part that is true, but that is not what the law of attraction is by the traditional teachings. And the law of attraction is that, um, I mentioned it earlier, it is that you get a reflection of what you are being. So if you choose to be uh, an amazing person who's just creating shit all the time, what you want to come from that is just going to come to you naturally. You know, you got to think about... Uh, you know, what you want so that you can start being the end result of what you want in your own life. And that is basically what manifesting is. That's a word that is used in so many different ways. Um, but literally on episode two, I had Max Eberhardt. I, I mean, I love all the conversations I had with everyone, but I think this was the most, even though it was just the second episode, it, thrown me, it threw me for a loop, and I still think about it all the time because now I keep hearing about it from people like him everywhere. And he basically, unknowing of what the law of attraction is, he started saying, he started telling me about how he is really interested in manifesting. And he came to Toronto, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be directing, sorry, producing music with top artists and he had a giant whiteboard and he had all over his walls, all his goals written. And whether it's a magical law of attraction thing or whether it's just practical implementation of goal setting, I think that, um, so just to clarify, he achieved all those things that he wanted in just about one year. of a, And he, he just started taking music production seriously within that one year. So... It was an absolutely amazing feat. He's doing even crazier stuff now. I keep seeing him post really wild stuff. And um, I think having those goals and affirmations basically plastered all around you, what it does is it just reminds you all the time of how you want to be, what kind of person you want to be, how you want to feel, and your goals. And it just... It's just your sphere of awareness. It's the same thing as if someone asked you, hey, how many people have you seen with 
green hair, you would say probably, if you're, if you're me and you haven't been thinking about green hair at all, you would say, I'd never see anyone with green hair. I don't know what you're talking about. And suddenly, you're going to walk around and you're going to start seeing people with green hair just because you're aware of it. Um, so being aware of your goals and having that intention set is basically how you manifest things because you just become aware of every little thing that can get you in that direction. And that comes full circle with everything. You know, it comes down to mindfulness because if you have a goal of anything, um, I wish I could think of a really good example right now, but, uh, and you're just floating through your life and something related to that goal or something related to an opportunity related to the person you want to be, to be able to have the things that you want when those opportunities pop up, you're going to recognize them for what they are. And it's a really powerful thing. Um, I personally, in the last year or two, um, I'm just going to add these in here. The best things I've found for myself are managing my overstimulation, journaling. So basically journaling and uh, affirmations all the time, like all the time. I do it several times a week, usually whenever I'm sitting around and, and I even have a slight feeling that things are a little unclear. I just remind myself of like, this is how I want to feel. Um, this is what I want, you know, and I, I do it for a lot of different things. And uh, I didn't really talk about this with other people, but uh, I'm going to stop it after this. I don't want this to turn into a tangent of where I'm talking about all the things that I do, but um, beneficial stressors, you know, do the sauna, <clears throat> do cold showers, um, fasting, all of those things. You can look into it yourself. These are kind of more personal choices, but they've helped my mindset quite a bit. You know, um, teaches your body how to handle stress, and it also teaches you how to be disciplined. So, those are the biggest things for me. Um, I think those are pretty much all the points that I wanted to point out about the first ten episodes, first eleven episodes. But um, maybe I'll keep doing these reflective things once I have a lot of new episodes. But my suspicion is that they're all going to be pretty common. And hopefully, I'm just going to be able to interview a lot of different kinds of people as well. So I don't think there's going to be as much of a need for it. But in the end, I guess, all of these episodes are just for me to kind of connect with people or reflect on certain things or even just feel that nice, free feeling of vulnerability. So if you are enjoying these episodes, that's cool please subscribe. Um, and I know I'm looking forward to getting back to interviewing people and learning about them so that I can keep learning more and connecting with even more cool individuals. So I forgot to mention at the start, but I'm releasing a set of meditation resources on my website. Hopefully it'll be up by January. I think it will be. And if you subscribe, you'll get updates based on that as well. So thanks for tuning into this one. I try to keep it short. I wish I kept it even shorter, but I think it turned out a pretty good uh, amount of time. So um, thanks for tuning in and have a great day.